Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. You can always contact me on any of the contact links in the description of this show. You can always call the listener hotline at 303-832-0217. And of course, you can rinse, rate, rate, and repeat. Well, I don't know. Rate the show if you would, uh, and that <laughs> I would appreciate it. Uh, a couple of episodes back, we talked to Jen Cultwriter from Mozilla's Privacy Not Included team, and she was warning us that our cars are the worst product they've ever tested for data privacy. Now we have something different to concern ourselves with as we get to autonomous cars, because there's a new article published recently by the automotive publication. Automoblog, and it was asking this question, are self-driving cars a national security risk? Well, the findings are a bit disturbing, especially as more cities are pushing and more companies are pushing to get into autonomous cars. To talk more about this article and to get more details about the research is writer, researcher, and newshound from Durham, North Carolina, David Strawn. David is Automoblog's senior automotive journalist, and he joins us now. David, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to come on. All right, so before we get into the all the auto, uh, autonomous car issues, I was reading that you spent uh, five years in China covering local news, culture, and events, right? So, would, Yeah, so would you compare if you would, the roads and the infrastructure there in China, driving there compared to driving in North Carolina, is it just totally different? Well, it, it's a, that's a really good question. I think what I would tell you is that like in the time I was there from 2010 through 2015. Um, and in the time I was there, I saw a lot of evolution in how the roads worked and how people drove. Um, the country was building, you know, a lot of roads, like a lot of infrastructure at the time. And when I first got there, um, there wasn't the driving culture really was sort of being established. And, um, you know, one, one thing to think about is that a lot of people were first generation drivers there. Um, not a lot of people had cars until, you know, the mid aughts going into the 2010s. Um, and so it took a while for people to figure things out, but like everything else in China, everything happened very quickly. And I would say that by the time I left in 2015, they had um, a really robust highway system. Um, even within cities, they started making a lot of improvements. You know, a lot of the cities are very old, and so they weren't necessarily built for cars. Um, but that really changed a lot during the time I was there. I lived in a city called Ningbo that was, like, very wealthy. Um, so, you know, in some ways, I got a bit of a, a skewed view of that. But, um yeah, they, I mean, the highway system now is is fantastic. It's uh, really well built, and um, I'd say it compares pretty well. Like, we have decent roads in North Carolina, um, and so I'd say it compares pretty well. Um, but you have a lot of elevated highways, which is a little scary at first, uh, hard to get used to, because you'd be, you know, like hundreds of miles on an elevated highway, um, which is just for somebody who could be uh, a little anxiety prone can be a little a little nerve wracking. Oh, sure. I, w- I would imagine if you are from, let's say, California, where earthquakes are prone, you're driving on that kind of a highway and you gotta get a little bit uh, tightly clenched, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, there wasn't a time that I was on the road where I wasn't really feeling like that. So, yeah. And it's interesting you say first generation drivers because you really don't think about that. Like here in the United States, we're on our, our you know, generation after generation after generation drivers. But, you know, having first generation, that's pretty interesting. 
Yeah, I you know, it's something that I noticed early on because it was like kind of like, wow, you see people doing some things that just don't seem like, you know, what we would consider standard driving behavior. And then I realized like, well, yeah, like I had my parents taught me how to drive and their yeah. parents taught them how to drive. And yeah. probably, you know, even going back that far, they probably had somebody else teaching them how to drive. So um, by the time I started driving uh, without revealing my age, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but there was, you know, we'd had a hundred years of, of developing a driving culture and, and generation after generation of people driving cars. So a lot of the things, you know, you just kind of learn or you pick up because you were in the car when your parents were driving. Um, and so you, you really saw a lot of people like figuring it out. Um, and that also included, you know, stuff like traffic enforcement and, and like how road signs were built and stuff yeah. like that. So I was there at a really interesting time to watch all that develop like and so quickly because by the time I left, it was like very, um, very developed, very you know, very similar to what we have here. Yeah. Did, did you ever get a chance to do a road trip and see part of the country go from province to province? Absolutely. A couple of them. Um, I went out to, uh, for Chinese new year. One year I went out to, uh, central China. That was like really kind of an old school communal farm type place. And, and I had to take, a, um, I flew to Wuhan and then I took a train for, I know a bus from Wuhan to another city and then a smaller bus from that city to another town. And then somebody had to come pick me up in a car from, from there to take me out there. And there weren't a whole lot of roads out to where we were going. It was more, you know, kind of like dirt uh, tracks. So I did kind of get to see the whole evolution, like as you get away from the East coast in China, and it, this is all changed now. It's all, it's all very developed now, but um, as it got less developed, of course, the roads were, were certainly a part of that as we went further out. Yeah, it's fascinating to to see how others drive and how their infrastructure is and especially how it compares to the United States because I always contend that uh, people in different parts of the world drive differently than they do here. And and when they do, they, they come to – New York City is a perfect example of this because you have people from all over the world and they bring their driving styles there and that's why it's so challenging at times to drive in, in New York City – because you're mixing the American way of driving is with the world way of driving and they all drive differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like in North Carolina, like I would say it's really opened my eyes to the fact that there are a lot of regional differences in the U S as to how you drive. I was taking a friend to the airport the other day and we were driving on the highway and you know, like North Carolina, like I'm, I'm from here. So um, traditionally, like when I was growing up in the city that I live in in Durham, it was pretty small population and it's very like you first kind of driving culture. And uh, I was taking a friend of mine from New York uh, to the airport and he was just kind of like, what's going on here? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, what are you doing? Why are you letting that guy in? I was like, well, it's just kind of how you drive here. But then I was realizing, you know, a lot of times there are these, because we have a lot of people who are here from the Northeast and from California, yeah. um, that there are these kind of cultural conflicts that happen on the road here where it's like, it, it really is like some people see it as like, well, they drive bad or and we drive good or whatever. But I think sometimes it's just more like, yeah, like I'm going to let you in, but like my friend from New York isn't. And that's just because that's how they drive up there and how we drive down here. And uh, so we're experiencing some, <laughs> some traffic issues as a result yeah. of that right now. Yeah, I was talking about that with somebody in the newsroom today. They're, they're from Detroit, and they uh, thought that we drive here in Colorado a lot kinder than they do in Detroit. And that's probably there's probably some truth to that. Uh, my, sure. Yeah. My guest is David Strawn. He's Automoblog's senior automotive journalist. Uh, getting back to your article called, Are Self-Driving Cars a National Security Risk? 
Uh, I have the link, by the way, in the description of the show. Does the security risk come from somebody stealing my information or from getting into the car somewhere where where they can maybe see me or or from somebody hacking into the software and then running the car off a pier uh, with me inside it? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it would be my answer to that. Uh, yeah, there's there are a lot of vulnerabilities with it. You know, kind of there's there is the immediate threat of um, there's a few. You know, there's a few things. One is like actually controlling inside the car, uh, which is like anything that's connected to the internet, whether that's your computer or like your dishwasher in some cases, or your thermostat or or your car can be hacked into. Um, you know, kind of regardless of what kind of security measures you have in place. Um, and with the internet of things and, and devices being interconnected, like we've kind of gotten computer and phone internet security down pretty good, but I don't know if the same kind of level of attention has been paid to that with regards to like the internet of things. Um, and so, yeah, one of the big risks is that, uh, you can hack into a vehicle. There were two, um, two cybersecurity researchers in 2015, like were able to demonstrate that it was, it was pretty easy uh, they they were they took over a Jeep Cherokee and were like controlling the the AC and stuff like that and then the radio and things like that. So that is certainly a risk. Um, another risk, actually, though, is just like you can kind of mess with the environment uh, to to reduce um, a driverless car's ability to recognize the environment. Like it it can be as simple as um, there were some researchers at McAfee. Uh, that used a piece of tape to change the speed limit sign from 35 miles an hour to 85 miles per hour. And uh, that caused a Tesla to automatically accelerate to very unsafe speeds at that time. Um, And then, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of opportunity when, when the more things are computer controlled, um, just there's just more that can go wrong and like disrupting one part of a system can easily like lead to all sorts of effects on the other side. But then yes, also the data is the more existential concern. Um, Anytime you're collecting data, there's a risk for that data to get out into the world. Um, And now like cars now have cameras, microphones all over the place and especially like self-driving cars, they rely on this technology to help them navigate. So um, they're they're just collecting massive amounts of data all the time and lots of video, photos, stuff like that. And then also you have like stuff like telematics programs, which are can kind of be integrated into these systems. And those like monitor driver behavior. Um, they're talking about you know some technology now that can like you know watch your eyes and see where your eyes are moving. Um, and so, yeah, like anytime you're collecting that much information, you're really at the risk of that information falling into um, the hands of somebody who might have kind of nefarious ideas of what to do with that. And this is actually something that, that like Congress has sort of started to address. They formed a, a vehicle data access caucus in 2021. And basically they're they're looking into kind of like data security and vehicles and stuff. So this is a, this is like a don't issue. Um, but it is certainly a, a security issue. If someone does take control of the car, 
could they really run the car like it was in, in we're in Grand Theft Auto where th- there's just no way for me to stop it or th- there's just no control I have it, even as simple as uh, like you said turning the radio or adjusting the uh, temperature controls in there is, is there anything I can do in until the car just runs out of fuel or becomes disabled in some way yeah in theory it kind of depends on how your car is configured so like you know, we think of cars of like you step on the brake and it's like a mechanical brake that then like engages the brakes on your car. Uh, a lot of times, like modern cars and especially the more like electrified a car is, uh, they have a they're kind of what's called uh, drive-by wire. So what that means is like when you push the brake pedal on your car, it's not actually like mechanically controlling the brake; it's sending a signal to the to the control unit in your car, and that control unit is then engaging the brakes electronically. So um, if there's no way to manually override that from happening, then yeah, like there potentially could very easily somebody could take your car over and, uh, you know, and, and use the control of that car and, and its central processor to kind of like, you know, engage some of the most basic functions in the car. And if you have stuff like steering assist, um, stuff like that, like all of that, anything that's connected to kind of the central computer of the car, which is increasingly like everything in your car, uh, that can all be controlled remotely in theory. Like you say, as I'm speaking to David Strawn, automotive, automobile blogs, senior automotive uh, journalist, like you said, these cars are really now just computers on wheels and they have cameras not only on the outside, but I think on the inside too, as as they have to drive around and and, and they're they're watching me as as it's watching the road at the same time. Um, so could they use those cameras? Could somebody log in, hack into it, use those cameras to see what I'm doing and report it to law enforcement, or even worse, maybe my insurance company? For example, let's say I, I was out at, at at a bar, I'm drinking, and since the car I think is driving itself. Right, I'm not driving the car because it's an autonomous car. I get in while I'm pretty well off drunk, or I could be drinking in in the car, and and maybe somebody gets that and then sends it off to the to the wrong people. Sure, or like threatens to do that, right? Like, um, yeah, I mean that's definitely very possible. And, you know, another thing I think about is like um, the automated vehicle. So different vehicles use different technology. Um, like Tesla uses a series of cameras, but some other like self-driving cars use uh, LiDAR technology, which is just like a basically like um, a more advanced version of sonar to kind of map the surroundings in like a 3D environment. When you have a lot of cameras, like one of the things I thought about was like how many people that drive Teslas are, are driving, you know, up to government buildings, right? That might right. have like sensitive information and things like that. And so, you know, what you have really is like a surveillance tool on wheels. And if somebody wants to learn something about, say, a, a building where sensitive things happen or things like that, then you really are like opening up the possibility that that somebody could could hack into that and use that to kind of um, learn some things that we might not want everybody to learn. Yeah, like seeing where police movement is or the military activity is, something like that. Or even look for a uh, the vulnerabilities in a public place, a mall, that sort of thing, for a bombing. You know, something something as, as awful as that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the thing is, is that, you know, much in the way that our, like our phones kind of present the same issue. But like most of the time they're in your pocket or like they're in your hand and you're like got it fit, the camera facing the floor and stuff like that. This is like 
you could map out an entire world basically if you if you were able to access all this data um and so but yeah google maps already kind of did that but this is a way for somebody maybe who's nowhere near the united states or or the place that you want to you know collect that information get maybe real-time data not you know months or maybe years data in the past from let's say google or apple maps right absolutely like there's i mean the possibilities are endless with what somebody could do with all this data so yeah there's uh it's it is kind of terrifying uh when you sort of start thinking about all the possibilities of, of what somebody could do with with uh, access to uh your car basically yeah. Uh, my guest is Automoblog's senior automotive journalist, David Strawn. We're talking about autonomous cars and, and how they could be a huge security risk. It, it, is, is it all about the software or can these autonomous vehicles be tricked by, like you said, changing more than just a road sign, changing other parts of the infrastructure, putting up barricades in, in, a, in a way to, to force them to all go one way or drive in, let's say you have... Uh, a parade you you put barricades up in a certain way and you have all this autonomous cars and, and you force them to go into a crowd yeah i mean absolutely like that is very much a possibility and i think that's kind of like one of the most direct threats um so christopher ray when he was speaking um at davos uh basically like brought up a lot of these things uh and yeah he, he described them as a potential attack surface for people to use and just like you said i mean we've seen where people have driven cars into crowds is kind of a, a way to cause destruction. Um, and yeah, so that, that is absolutely like one of the possibilities of this. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a hundred percent possibility. I think that was one of the main ones that he was concerned with. And also that, that and the surveillance implications of, of these cars. Even with all these concerns, companies are still pushing forward with the technology. So so what's the remedy here? I mean, there's really no way to operate an autonomous vehicle without all the computers and the LIDAR and the cameras. It's not like we can take a 1975 Buick LeSabre and turn it into an autonomous vehicle. Right. Yeah, that's correct. So, I mean, the remedy, you know, there's there's several, there's not going to be just one, but, you know, one of the first concerns is like, how do you ensure data security and how do you keep these things locked up? Um, and you know, I think when it comes to computer hacking, for the most part, there's when there, where there's a will, there's a way. And so that's kind of a, I think, a risk that on some level we're going to have to, like, accept and, and live with if we want this technology. Um, and I think the other thing, though, is just, you know, um, it's, it's going to sound funny coming from, like, a car, somebody who writes about cars, but, like, I, I think, you know, really we kind of need to reduce how much we depend on cars and like i think that like um it's just the more cars that we have out on the road the more opportunities we have for something to go wrong with them and i think that like this technology is here companies are going to push forward on it regardless of what the risks are um there's only so much we can regulate with this um you know this is technology that's coming and we just kind of have to i think try our best to make it safe and try to you know keep the data is sort of locked up and find ways to encrypt our systems and things like that. But, you know, I think the adjustment is really going to be for us just accepting this is like in the same way that we, we accept the risk of driving, it's driving a car in general, whether it's automated or not, is really dangerous. Like it's the most dangerous thing that most people do 
on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it's the most dangerous thing they're going to do their entire life. Um, and we have kind of accepted that as like a, you know, a risk that that is we're willing to make that trade off. And I think that unfortunately is just kind of going to be part of it with self-driving cars as we go forward. But this is a new car problem. I, I have a 2013 and a 2014 and, and the only connection to the internet that one of my cars has is I think it can get some time data from the old 3G network, but now the 3G is going away. It really doesn't work all that well. That, uh, yeah. that and the XM, you know, satellite radio. That's correct. Yeah. And so like my car is from 2014 and that's one of my big hesitations with getting anything newer is just, you know, I personally like uh, manual stuff on a car. Like I, I think that um, I don't feel super comfortable having everything in my house connected to the internet. Um, and uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, yeah, it's just, it's all, it's, it's hard. I mean, it is a new problem, but on, on some level it, it is, also like a problem we've been dealing with for a long time and that like yeah this presents a lot of risks like people can can drive their own car into a crowd of people uh just as easily as <laughs> probably more easily than somebody can like hack into into a car so i think that you know there there can be some regulation and i think where regulation can be really helpful is around like data security because that's a lot on some level that's like easier to regulate than than kind of the technology aspect of it and so I think that, you know, there there are some things that we can control a little bit better than others. And I think that, you know, I mean, the the government has kind of shown a lack of willingness to regulate the, the actual self-driving car technology. But I, I'm a little optimistic with the Vehicle Data Access Caucus and that, that there may be some regulations coming around, like where this information is stored, how it's stored, um, what kind of systems companies are allowed to use, because it's kind of the Wild West right yeah. now and that you have like a lot of companies are just kind of using their own sort of proprietary systems. Um, and, and that makes it hard because, you know, it, then it, the government, instead of having to regulate like one or two systems, they have to regulate 15, 16 different systems. Um, and so like, if there's some maybe standardization of, of how data is kept and recorded, that could be helpful. Um, and it could make regulating that and protecting that a lot easier. My guest is David Strawn, Automotive Blog's senior automotive writer. We're talking about uh, self-driving cars and how they're a national security risk. The, the latest news actually out of the autonomous vehicle industry is that General Motors, their division called Cruise, uh, is laying off 900 workers, including about a dozen in the upper management, uh, which is about a quarter of its workforce. Where do you see the automotive, the, the autonomous vehicle industry here in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Is this a big setback uh, with GM's announcement, or are, are they just going to uh, try to figure out what's going on, take a couple steps back, because that allows them to make five steps forward? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think one of the things that we've really learned over the last, like, let's say 10 years is that, like, this is a lot harder than we probably thought it was yeah. going to be. I mean, I think that, like, there's kind of, we've had a tech industry that is sort of, worked in the world of computers and the internet and for a large part it's just kind of like figuring out how you're going to do something and, and that like development period is a lot shorter um when it comes to this like i think that we are going to see a lot of advances in this i mean i think that um i i spent a lot of time with a team of researchers at north carolina AMT university here and they are developing um basically like public shuttles uh that use um, auto, their autonomous vehicles 
and they're using LIDAR technology. And the researchers there told me that basically um, LIDAR is very expensive right now, but it's it's kind of superior technology to that that's used by like Tesla mm -hmm. um, that uses like an imaging or a, like a cameras and things like that. Um, but that LIDAR is becoming significantly cheaper. And that means that more people will have access to it and it'll be easier to kind of tweak that and develop that. Um, and so I think that like a lot of this technological growth and development happens kind of exponentially. And so I do think we're kind of at a place where we're seeing this technology more and more out in the wild. There's more and more companies and universities and, and all sorts of people are, are working on this technology. Um, and so I think that we are kind of on the cusp of reaching, um, you know, right now, I think that what they, they say Tesla is at like level two of aut autonomy um, and then level four uh, is when you really can call something like a self-driving vehicle. And I, I do think we're going to get there. Um, five years sounds like a reasonable, uh, a reasonable time to put on it, but you never know. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot of like unknown unknowns with, with this whole world, because we are, as we are gathering data, we're realizing the things that we've yet to account for. And I think that like, we're seeing that with like Tesla, for example, earlier this week had to recall almost every single one of its vehicles and that recall is like an over-the-air update but it was all related to what they what they called full self-driving or autopilot um, or auto steering and i think that like they kind of wanted people to believe that the technology was more advanced than it was and that's only at level two self-driving so um i i think as we i think we're, we're on the cusp of seeing some real breakthroughs there and i, I do think that we're going to see a lot more of this kind of thing coming soon. I, I I do think that it may look different than we think it's going to look right now, um, just because it, it looks different now than we thought it was going to look a few years ago. And so I think that maybe we don't quite have a very clear idea of like of of what actual fully autonomous vehicles and like them being a significant portion of the vehicles on the road. We don't, we don't really know what that's going to look like yet. Yeah. And I think one of those issues that still yet to be answered is the insurance issue and who is responsible when I am in a car that is driven by the car itself. Is it driven by the software? Is it the company that created the software? Is it the company that created the car? Is it the company who created the infrastructure and, and all of the, uh, the reading of the infrastructure, that sort of thing. It's I'm, I'm sure you've seen that movie iRobot, uh, right. right? Where where Will Smith, the, you know, the the robot chooses to save him because there was a higher probability that he's going to survive other than the kid. Um, I mean, there there could be those scenarios in autonomous cars where you have, a, let's say that cars are skidding out of control. It, it, it Both cars are talking to each other, even in the skid. They know that this family of five is going to die or this one person could die, but you know, it, 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 who, who lives and who dies in these situations? Right. Yeah. It's the trolley, trolley problem. Right? Yeah. Like it, it just, and they, again, there are just so many questions already right now. And it's like, the more we learn about this, the more it's out there, like we're going to have just more questions. And I think that my main concern is when you hear people who have this kind of like unrestrained confidence about this technology, to me, that means that they're not really considering like the other side of it that like, and I think that that, that is kind of, um, I mean, that's just kind of like the, the tech industry mindset. Right. And, and I think that 
Yeah, there's just all sorts of ethical implications. There's all, all sorts of things. And again, like we've had now, um, you know, well over a century of figuring out how cars work and how we it, we integrate with cars and how cars integrate with our environment. And this is a, a major, major change in like the way the technology works. And so I think that, you know, humility is going to be our best friend as we move forward here and understanding that, you know, I would love to hear more concern coming from like the, the tech side, uh, because to me, that would mean that they're considering the things that can go wrong. And right now it seems to be a lot of like touting all the things that can go right, the promise of the future and uh, not, you know, it, like we're going to end up with a lot of problems if we don't sort of exercise caution going forward on this. Yeah. It seems like it could autonomy could in the future help with the shared spaces idea where you're sharing with scooters and bikes and pedestrians all in the same space. Because right now, as you know, everybody who has a phone totally distracted while they're driving in these cities and are cutting off people on bikes and running them over and, and not stopping for pedestrians or blowing through red lights and the whole thing. So the, obviously in, in spaces like that, maybe in the more densely packed urban areas, it, it makes more sense to have autonomous cars than in even the suburbs or obviously outside in the rural areas. There's really almost no need for them out there. That's right. Yeah. And that's what I found really interesting about what they're doing out at, at A&T um, is they're, they're building this shuttle basically to serve as an arm of their public transportation system. And they're specifically focused on trying to serve rural communities, which I found to be really interesting and, and like really inspiring um, because they're looking at it as a solution for like, in theory, an autonomous shuttle for them could be cheaper than, than running like a bus with a, with a human driver out there and so they're seeing it they're partnered with the city there in greensboro north carolina um and and looking for like they're looking at this as a potential way to serve uh communities with public transportation that that like they just don't have the budget and don't have the resources to do otherwise so there's a lot of promise there with that with that kind of thing um but again like we're we're not anywhere near there yet <laughs> so yeah. My guest is David Strawn. He's the Automotive Blog's senior automotive journalist. We were talking about uh, the national security risk of self-driving autonomous cars. W finally, on, th on this topic, w would would you get in one? Would, would If you were in San Francisco or wherever they're driving them, would you, would you feel comf comfortable getting in one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I rode in uh, in the shuttle in Greensboro, the, the ANT one that they developed. Uh, and it was it was it was a little unsettling at first to have like the driver there was this really fascinating researcher there and he would just keep like looking at me and, and he was very like use a lot of hand gestures and stuff like that. And normally I'd be like reaching over to try and like grab the wheel <laughs> or something like that. But then I, I you know, after like a couple of miles, I was like, okay, this is I, I see what's going on here. And like yeah, it was it was weird. Um I don't as of right now, I feel like I know too much <laughs> about about this, and I think that I would love to see like uh, companies like Tesla that like have a better track record before I fully trust them. Yeah, um, out out in Golden, Colorado, uh, over at the School of Mines, a couple of years ago, I rode in one because they had one going around their campus. Same kind of idea, uh, one of those mm -hmm. auto autonomous shuttles. You don't know if it's coming or going because it looks the same from the front and back. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you you also write all kinds of other stories. And one of your more recent and I would say definitely more creative ones is titled, How Much Would It Cost to Insure Santa's Sleigh? Uh, my first thought here is, 
is Santa uh, just a guy in this scenario, or is he a shipping company? Do we have to separate all the gifts he delivers uh, from the driver and the vehicle? Well, we have a uh, there's we have a very amazing um, insurance consultant that we talked to named Nick Vitale, and he he uh, he was great about helping us work out this article and kind of talking us through all the things. And that was one of the things he pointed out was that like Santa's not just it's not just a vehicle; it's his business. Um, and so there is like the matter of like, how do you insure his vehicle? But he said also, you know, a lot of what needs to be insured is, is beyond the vehicle. It's, is cargo yeah. and all that. So, um, yeah, he was just, you know, he's like, there's a lot of ways I would do this if I was drawing a policy for this. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, there's Santa, you know, Santa has a massive operation and he's got a, a lot to do, um, that we estimated or there was a there was an MIT study <laughs> or a blog basically it looked like it was probably from the 90s that um that Santa needs to travel 75 and a half million miles over the course of a single night and he's carrying like billions of dollars in gifts and all that so um you know figuring out how Santa would need to be covered takes a very expert insurance person I think you know Nick obviously knows what he's talking about and presented us with a lot of options more than we could really fit into in one article so um, yeah, he, there, there's a lot of ways Santa can go with his insurance policy. Uh, and you say in the piece that Santa has some things going for him, at least for his insurance rates, because he's married. Uh, he, he's he's got a really good driving record over a very long time, like thousands of years. Oh yeah. Uh, and and but but a, but according to the one song, he he did run over grandma. That's right. So. Yes, uh, that, if I'm not mistaken, that song is uh, took place in the, the 90s or the 80s. Um, and so it's very likely that like that would be off his record. That, as egregious <laughs> as that is, it would probably be off his record at, at this point. And, um, you know, maybe that's the thing we all just kind of like look the other way because he's Santa. Yeah. <laughs> right. What about damage it, it, it left by uh, on a roof or, or because of a rough landing or reindeer hooves? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a risk for him. Um, and, you know, there, there's all sorts of risks, like, especially if you're in like an icy area where the roof is is like designed to have snow and everything like fall off of it. Um, that certainly presents like a huge risk uh, for for Santa. Um, he just like it's a treacherous job. And it's kind of amazing that that he's made it this far without, you know, any major accidents outside of running over and really, it was the reindeer that ran over the, the grandmother as well, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so, so. yeah, by a reindeer, but but I you you got to know that the reindeer was probably still attached to the sleigh at that point. So is that does that mean that it's part of the whole entire vehicle? It's not just the sleigh. The reindeers are you know the horsepower, if you will, of the whole thing. So yeah, my original <laughs> idea was to try and find like a comparison of like pulling power from reindeer to horses, and then convert reindeer power to horsepower. Um, and then thankfully my editor sort of grabbed me by the collar and was like, you have <laughs> other stuff to do right now. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I for me, I would consider the reindeer to be part of the vehicle yeah. just because they're the, they're the drawing power that and the, the Christmas magic that kind of propels all of this whole thing. Yeah. It, because the sleigh really is one, a, a one of a kind vehicle that's basically irreplaceable. I mean, I don't even know how you would put a replacement value on such a vehicle. And, and I, I saw that you had an estimate that the vehicle premium would be somewhere in the neighborhood of like $82,000 per year, but also he would need coverage for the entire year. Cause he's really only out one night. I, I doubt he's doing test runs, you know, throughout the year, he's probably just taking it out once and then sitting it back in the, in the barn. 
That's right. Yeah. And so, right. And even then, though, like the basically like Santa is very high risk in a lot of ways. And part of that's because he travels. He just has to travel so fast to get the whole job done. Um, and that is, you know, that's one of the major risk factors for drivers is speed. And so, like, given that and and sort of um, the fact that he has to, you know, go to all sorts of different climates and, and terrains and things like that, like, he's just, he's, Santa's a pretty high risk driver, despite his, his, uh, his records. So. Yeah, a lot of quick start and stops, tight turns, you know, that sort of thing. He probably blowing through red lights. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I mean, the, it's endless, the amount of sort of what we would consider to be unsafe driving practices. But then again, like I've only driven a, a gasoline powered car, so I don't, I don't really know the effect that that has on a reindeer powered vehicle, but I would assume it's somewhat similar. Yeah. He probably doesn't have one of those doohickeys that hooks up into the vehicle that lets the insurance company know how you're driving as you're driving. Yeah. Well, we actually talked about that because, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we were saying that like that would, you know, for some people, if you're a really good driver, that can be a good way to kind of save some money on your insurance policy. But for, um, someone like Santa, that they would, you know, the insurance, the insurance, you'd probably be on the phone with the insurance company within minutes, I would guess. <laughs> probably so. Yeah. But it's a, that's it, a fun, it, was it fun for you to, to look at that and just explore the whole idea of Santa and drive it around? <laughs> it, it certainly was. And, and, you know, one of the things like we work with Nick a lot and I, I told him, I was like, the idea for this is like, we just want to play this as straight as possible. I'm going to treat this like, you know, the same way that I treat, writing about national security risk of self-driving cars. <laughs> um, and the more we did that, the more fun it was to sort of think about, you know, I don't know. It just like, it, it like the more serious it got, the sillier it got, I guess. And like the sillier, I'm a, I'm a big fan of silliness in general. So yeah, the more we got into it, the more fun it was for sure. Well, and now you can, uh, you know, maybe or looking at any other um, crazy vehicles that I, I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, you know, there's the Easter bunny running around, uh, from place to place. You have the, um, tooth fairy that goes from place to place, but I think she has her own wings. So I don't really, yeah, know I think she's like self-propelled probably. Yeah. <laughs> and the bunny probably too. Yeah. But they're still breaking and entering. No, absolutely. Right. And that, that, you know, is its own <laughs> set of risks there, but that's probably more on your insurance policy than theirs. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> David Straw automotive blogs, senior automotive journalist. Hey, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, best of luck. And if somebody wanted to read more of your articles and, and, uh, and, and maybe contact you, how can they do that? Well, I would say like start with Automa blog, um, and that way you can learn how my last name is spelled. I'm, I'm right there at the front page, uh, and yeah, check out automablog.net. Um, and uh, you know, we do a lot of this type of uh, the national security stuff. I'm also I'm a writer for the Santa articles on Quartz at QZ.com, and then I write for Market Watch as well. Um, if you're a fan of like, you know, big issues and and deep dives and data and stuff like that, definitely. Definitely check us out. I would say start with automoblog.net and then, you know, if you like what you see there, then um, a quick Google of my name will bring up uh, everything else I've written. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, David, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your expertise. I appreciate it very much and, and best of luck on your next article. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. This is a blast. I really appreciate it. You know, I still think we're a long ways off from autonomous cars taking over the world. As, as advanced as we are, and as far as these vehicles have come, cities are just not ready. That's why 
they're being uh, put on hold in San Francisco, and uh, it's it's like I said before, it's a couple of steps back to move several leaps forward. The the technology is just not quite ready there. We keep pushing these technologies before they're really ready and before the market is ready to accept it. Um, it will will it be closer in five years? Yeah, we'll be closer in five years, but uh, I don't think we're going to see the autonomous revolution in five years. Um, it, it may be closer to 20 years. I mean, the technology will move faster than legislation. And we all know how quickly the government moves. Um, there will have to be new rules and new regulations and, and liabilities will have to be established before there is any widespread adoption uh, and use of autonomous vehicles uh, on public streets. Uh, I think we're going to see them in more limited operations like these shuttles that I was talking about in Golden uh, that's driving around the Colorado School of Mines campus or what David was talking about there in, in Durham and, and where, where you, you have these shuttles traveling at slow speeds, 25 miles an hour at most, around, let's say, a college campus or a business campus, uh, some kind of defined route within a smaller town. It, it will take some more time before we're all getting in one of these things and then zipping off to work. And that's just fine because, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's places I was thinking about this as uh, what, what, one of my favorite hiking spots, uh, maybe 20 minutes away from me, is uh, on a dirt road, uh, hilly, rural, windy road. And, and that's just never going to have the infrastructure needed with current technology for autonomous cars to drive on. And, th and that's fine with me. For <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think there are some things that just better done by humans than machines and maybe we should keep it that way <laughs> i guess i'm just uh, the, the new the new kids i guess they're gonna say uh to hell with you old man uh th <laughs> thanks again for being here thanks for listening and until next time i'm jason luber the traffic guy be safe and as always happy motoring